right. Well, good morning, Bethany. How are we doing this morning? Good. All right, good. You guys responded too. First service did. Sometimes you guys are real quiet, don't say much, but it's good. All right. So uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's always good to gather as God's people uh, and just open up the Word of God. And, and hopefully our desire is that God would uh, speak to our hearts this morning and encourage us. And so uh, we're just continuing on in this series. And as, as Adam shared there, that there's this, there's this idea that we should be, uh, if you're walking with Jesus, uh, that we should be putting off the old self right, with its deceitfulness and, and the sinfulness that's there. And, and so if you've been walking with Jesus for some time, you know that. You know that struggle uh, intimately. You know it well. If you're here just exploring who Jesus is, you, you haven't started that journey, uh, I'm going to guess and assume uh, kind of that if you're here this morning, uh, and for each one of us, that we all have this desire to please God. Uh, we want God to, to be pleased with us, and we want to live a life uh, of, of kind of excellence. And I would I'd put it this way, moral excellence. And so the big idea for this morning, I'm going to just jump right into it here. Um, kind of the overarching idea for us is this. Uh, don't be fooled. Virtue does not come easy, and it's a war. So the idea here is uh, some of us think that, well, when I come to know Jesus, when I come to put my, my faith in Christ, uh, instantly my life will change, and I'll start to live a life that pleases God. And while there are things that will change in you, this was my experience, there were things, the, the moment that I put my faith in God, there was, a, there was a change in the way I lived my life, the things that I said, the things that I did, but I, over time, I've been walking with Jesus for 20 some years now, over time I realized that it's not that easy. Uh, that if I want to live a life of moral excellence, if I want to live a life that pleases the Lord, then there are certain things that I have to do. There are certain things that, that God is asking me to do, and so we're going to look into that this morning. And before you write me off, and before you think, oh, great, he's just going to tell us the things that we do wrong and what I should be doing, uh, I would just invite you to stay with me, because I think uh, the answer might not be uh, exactly what you think it is. And so let's just uh, jump in here to the Word of God and jump into Ephesians chapter 6, and then we'll break this down and work through it. Uh, so if you have your Bibles there, Ephesians chapter 6, maybe on your smartphone. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles in the pews. Uh, you can pull those out, and on those Bibles, or in those Bibles, we'll be on page 980. Um, if you don't own a Bible, I'd invite you to keep that one. Uh, please, that's our, our gift to you. I'd love nothing more than for you to have that. So Ephesians chapter 6, and... We'll jump in here in verse 10. So Paul starts this. He says, a final word. In other translations, he would say, finally, saying like, after all of these things, now let's talk about this. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the, God, the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
And so this language that we see Paul writing in here is a, is a wartime language. He's telling us to put on this armor. If you think of the Roman uh, gladiators, that type of time period, you're thinking correctly of what Paul would have been thinking or, or looking at when he's writing this down and putting these pieces of the armor, the helmet, the breastplate of righteousness or the body armor, as the New Living puts it, uh, the shoes and, and these types of things are the things that, that Paul was picturing. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about war. Uh, because there's this, there's this picture in the New Testament or in the scriptures that kind of paints this idea that the war's already been finished, right? But we're still fighting. And I want to give you an example from history. I'm not a, by any means a history buff, but I do like to, to read history and look back on things that have happened and learn from the past. And if you go back, there was a date that came to my mind as I was reading this. And if you go back to June 6, 1944, some of you will know what happened on June 6, 1944. It was the battle uh, that we refer to as D-Day or the battle at Normandy. And in that battle, the United States, uh, Britain, Canada, the Allied forces came against the, the German, Nazi German occupation in France. And on that day, they stormed those beaches and thousands of uh, soldiers lost their lives. Uh, but ultimately, they won that battle and pushed forward into northern France and into France. Now, the battle, that battle, some historians will say that that was the beginning of the end of World War II. That after Germany lost there in northern France, that, that was, they really couldn't sustain that loss. And it was only a matter of time until uh, the Allied forces were going to defeat Nazi Germany. Well, it would take 10 more months. It wouldn't be until May of 1945 that Germany would ultimately surrender. But 10 months between this battle at Normandy and the end of the war, yet, for many, they say the war was really over after uh, Normandy. Well, I want you to tuck that thought in the back of your mind because I think it'll help us uh, as we get towards the end here. Uh, but I want to, as we work through this passage, uh, here's the bad news first. What God is laying out here in Ephesians chapter 6 is that we are at war. He lays this out in verse 12 where he says, for we are not fighting against. So this word fighting, there's a, there's a war happening. We are not in peacetime. If you've come here and you think that, hey, I gave my life to Jesus and, and everything is at peace, then I would suggest that you're mistaken in that. Because the, the scriptures and what God tells us is, no, you're fighting a battle. And we're not fighting a battle against Russia or ISIS or North Korea or any of those that you're reading about the news or maybe some organization that you hate. But there's a much bigger battle going on, and he describes it as a battle against spirits and principalities and authorities in the unseen world. And so what he's telling us here is that the devil is very real. And that the devil is attacking not only uh, his church, but he's working throughout the world to bring a deception against uh, a God. And I want to point this out through the scripture. I want to build this case for you because the New Testament is overwhelming in the amount that this is talked about, but we don't put it together in a list, and so sometimes we miss it. So I want to give you just a, a little bit of a list here that we'll work through of what God is telling us about our enemy. First Peter chapter 5 is probably the most famous one. So Peter tells us, stay alert. I'm not telling you just to wake up here while you're sitting here listening to me, but stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a, lion, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Peter's telling us that, that our great enemy is actually walking around amongst us looking for someone who's vulnerable. 
John chapter 17, verse 15. This is Jesus praying shortly before he's about to be crucified. And he says this, he's, not, I'm talking, he's talking to the Father, he's in prayer, and he says, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world. So God, Jesus isn't asking to pull us out of the world, but what is he asking for? But to keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus was keenly aware that the enemy was going to attack. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, so that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. I wish I had time to preach a message on this thought. But are we truly familiar, church, with what the enemy is trying to do and bring division and isolation within the church, within our families, within our nation? The enemy wants to bring isolation and division because God is about bringing restoration, right? He's about bringing us back to himself. He's about bringing us together, but the enemy wants us to sit in isolation, but we can't be unaware of his schemes. Keep going. Luke chapter 22. Jesus is speaking here to Peter, Simon, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith shall not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Satan is coming and asking permission to sift Peter, Simon Peter, and the disciples. I wonder if that's happening to us today. James chapter 4, verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Resist the devil. So there's this tension, there's this battle that's going on that the scriptures is telling us about. That right now there is a battle that rages for our souls. Our souls, the souls of our children. And we cannot be lulled to sleep by this world. We cannot be lulled to sleep by the things that distract us. And the goal of the enemy, this is where we get off off on this. The the goal of the enemy isn't this stereotypical thing that the, the enemy wants to turn us into this incredible heathen, right? That does all this wickedness or maybe a psychopathic serial killer. That's not the goal of the enemy. That'd do, sure. But that's not what he's setting out to do. What the enemy is trying to do and what he set out to do is to subtly get you to wallow in unbelief. Let me say that again. What the enemy wants to do in your life is to subtly get you to wallow in unbelief, being, God, I don't know if you're here. I don't know if you're capable. I don't know if you can do what you say you can do. His game plan has not changed since the beginning. And if he can get us to focus on ourself, to focus on our comfort, our leisure, our pleasure, our safety, it becomes about us and not about God. And see, when we're focused and fixed on us and the things that are in our own lives and what we want, we're not focused on being an ambassador of the king of kings. We're not focused on walking in step with God's spirit. You're not resting in the fact that you were a child of God. And Satan's tactic is to get you to question. And he's not someone that's an evil, like we have these pictures, right, of God, with the, or of Satan, I'm sorry, with these horns and a pitchfork, right? But the scripture doesn't describe Satan like that. 
See, we think that the enemy will come at us and it will be obvious, right? The enemy will be clear as day. This is an evil spirit. We watch too many horror films. We have too many ideas of what the enemy will look like. But the scripture describes him very differently. Paul says, I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Genesis 3 is such a clear picture of this. The enemy comes, not as our enemy, He disguises himself as our friend. And he whispers in our ear this doubt. Did God really say that? Did God really say? What did he say to Eve? Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He's questioning God. And this comes out in our lives today. I see it in our culture. Has God really said that you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage? Is that really important? Did God really say that you shouldn't take revenge against somebody who wrongs you? I mean, if they wrong you, they deserve to pay the punishment, right? Did God really say that you have to serve the least of these? Did God really say that you should honor your parents even though they may not have treated you the way you wanted to be treated? Did God really say that you should pursue that person that you know has a problem with you? You know that you've wronged them in some way and maybe you're not even sure how. But God says that we should leave the gift at the altar and go make things right with that person. But ah, it's too much work. It's just easier just to not say anything and let the, what, separation grow. See, the fiery arrows of the devil that are spoken about in Ephesians 6, they're not massive things. Though they may seem this way, they may be this way sometimes. Maybe you're facing cancer. Maybe you're facing some huge health diagnosis that you're struggling with. And Jesus actually connects physical health with satanic or demonic activity when he's casting out demons and when he's healing people in the New Testament. Not always. And see, this is, this is critical because sometimes we read things and we read it once and we think, well, always. So if I get sick, that means the devil's doing something? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. But maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's that temptation to give into an addiction. But at its core, this is so much deeper than this. The subtle arrows of the devil are, if God loved you, he wouldn't let that happen to you. Or didn't God say he would never leave you or forsake you? Where is he now? Or maybe it's, look at that person. If you had what they had, If you had their spouse, if you had their job, if you had their money, if you had, you would be so much better off. And these are the subtle arrows that Satan is gently nudging us towards unbelief, that we don't need God. And this is the warning given in the book of Hebrews. The nation of Israel, as they were coming, nation of Israel coming out of Egypt, They had just seen God work all of these miracles and the sin that the nation of Israel fell into above everything else was simply unbelief. They simply felt we don't need God. We can worship the other gods or God is not for us or God is not here or God has abandoned us. You look at this passage. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another. I can't say that loud enough. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's, what? Deceitfulness. 
Our hearts are deceptive. And we constantly think that we can solve our own problems, we can fight our own battles, but there is a battle that is going on and the scripture makes it clear it's not against flesh and blood. And so often what I see happen is that we get into these battles amongst ourselves, right? And we fight with one another and we think my boss is the problem, my spouse is the problem, my kids are the problem, my neighbors are the problem, right? That person in the church that I don't get along with, they're the problem. And Paul is screaming at us the whole time. God's saying, it's not against flesh and blood. There's something else going on. It's deeper than this. It's not your parents. It's not your siblings. We want to make it about each other so that we have a face to put with the anger. But God's saying, don't take it out on one another. The battle isn't here. Wake up and see with your eyes, that there is a battle that's going on and it's deeper than what we understand and it's a spiritual battle. And I get it. We start talking about spiritual things and people start looking at you like you're a little crazy. I understand. People think, well, you're a fool to talk like this. What, you believe in demons? You believe in Satan? You believe that there's spiritual stuff going on? Guilty. Yeah. And the reason that I believe it is because Jesus speaks about it. Jesus, the resurrected king, the one who predicted his death, and then rose again. He spoke to demons. In Mark chapter 5, he approaches a man, a man that nobody else wants to talk to, a man that nobody else will touch because the man is, he's, he's cutting himself. He has this odd strength where he's breaking out of chains and things like that. And when Jesus approaches to him, he does not speak to the man. He speaks to the demon inside the man. And the demon says, I am legion for we are many. And Jesus ultimately heals that man by casting those demons out. And that man goes on to preach the gospel in the cities where the gospel was not preached before. So Jesus recognizes, there's, there's more here. There's more here. There's a spiritual battle. So I think we need help here. I think we need help understanding this or seeing this. What, what are we talking about? Well, there's something that happens in nature that every single one of you believe, but you've never seen it. I'm referring to the wind. It's a perfect month to talk about the wind, since March has been like blowing around like crazy, right? All right? I have a tree right now that fell in on our playground. Didn't knock down the playground, fell into the fence. It's sitting there. I just haven't had time to cut it up yet. How did the tree fall down? Well, like two weeks ago, we had this huge windstorm, blew stuff all over the place, right? Did I see the wind? Could you see something physically pushing? Now you see the effects of the wind. You can see rain moving horizontally. You can see things flapping in the breeze. You could see this tree leaning as the wind was pushing on it. But you can't actually see that wind. But you believe it because you feel it. The same is true with the spiritual realm. All around us, there are things that don't seem right. And we want to point to all these different things. I'll show you a video here that will help you... um, kind of see the effects of the wind and also wake you up a little bit. So you guys can go ahead and run that. It runs twice there just because in case you missed it. But that girl needs to sign up for gymnastics, right? (laughs) 
put her on the rings because she has a death grip on the doorknob. It's amazing. But what pushed the door? You all know. Just by watching the video, you all see it. You're like, oh, that's the wind. But you can't see the wind actually push the door open. It's not like someone runs out and pushes it while she's hanging on to it. But you see the effects of it. The same is true in the spiritual realm. We see the effects. Jesus spoke about this. God speaks about it in his word. The decline in our culture. Physical health. The deception and destruction that we see all around us. The pride of man. These are all things that God himself directly attributes to demonic activity. And yet when we talk about it, people look at us like you're crazy to even think about it. To even hold that opinion. How could you think that? Now, I want to make a side note here because some of us, some of you, some of us are tempted to take a pass with this. So we start talking about, about demonic activity and things like that. And suddenly you're thinking, oh yeah, right. The devil made me do it, right? So if, if you use that, you're tempted to use that with your spouse. Yeah, honey, I know I said those things, but the devil made me do it. It's not, God never gives us a pass, In his word, as you read through it, there is never the person that stands before God and says, God, the devil made me do it. They tried it. Genesis chapter 3. Go read it. Adam and Eve both point down the line. Hey, it was her. And she says, hey, it was the devil that made me do it. There's always consequences. The scripture holds this throughout, that we are always accountable for the things that we do and the things that we say. Not to say that we weren't influenced in some way, but we always are accountable because we have the ability to resist the enemy and trust God or believe the enemy and walk away. Those are the options. We can either resist the devil and he will flee for us or we can welcome him in and he will take up residence. Those are the two options. So let's get into the practical side of Ephesians chapter 6 because I think there's some things that will be helpful for us here and some uh, instructions that God gives us on this that I think uh, we can benefit from. So we desire to live a life of virtue. We want to live a life that is morally pleasing to God, right? We want to walk in a way that walks in the spirit so that we're living in joy and peace and love and kindness and patience and self-control as Galatians chapter 5 points out. So how do we do that? Well, I think there's some, some things here that'll be helpful. So let's start in verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, back to the passage. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So whose mighty power are we depending on? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Prepare for this battle that's going to happen. Be strong in the Lord. And whose strength is it that we're relying on? Is it mine? Is it yours? It's God's. This past weekend, or last weekend, uh, we weren't here. We had the opportunity to go to Hershey Lodge. Uh, It had been a while since I had been there, and they actually added this huge water park. Uh, So my in-laws for Christmas uh, said they were going to take all the siblings and the kids, and we're going to go to Hershey Lodge and spend the night there uh, Saturday night into Sunday. So we got to be in the water park on Saturday and Sunday. It's a pretty cool thing. And so I was with our five-year-old, Josiah, and he was just having a blast. He was having a blast. And we got on this, uh, this place where there's uh, these in, um, they're not indoor, they go actually go outside, but it's a slide. You've been on a water slide before, and it's in a tube. It's enclosed, fully enclosed. And uh, it actually goes outside and then comes back into the building. And he was just having a blast on those, and he was just barely 
big enough to be able to go on it, but he was big enough. But to go on, see, he had had these floaties on or swimmer. Uh, some of you are familiar with those. When, back in, like, when I was a kid, when we had floaties, they were these nasty, like, plastic things that hurt your arm. They always left a rash, right? You hated putting them on. Well, now they have these, like, little vests that you can wear. It's much cooler now than it was then. And so anyway, to go on the slide, you have to take the vest off. Because the, the straps and things like that could catch on a rivet inside there, you could get hurt. So you, the water's not deep enough, you know, to really be a, be a problem for him. So he's going down that, and then we're walking past uh, the large pool. It's not that deep. It's maybe four and a half, five feet. I could stand in it, but of course he can't. And so he's like, Dad, Dad, let's go take me in the big pool. He's like, I want you to, to take me in there. And so I said, all right, let's go. And as soon as we start walking to the pool, he says, but I, I don't have my, my vest on. I need my vest. And I said, no, you don't. You don't need it. We'll just, I'll, I'll be with you. And he's like, but dad. I, and I could see he's thinking. He's processing. Like, can I really go in there? Because I can't swim. So finally I convinced him. I said, Josiah, come on. I'm, I'm with you. I'm here. And so I hold him. And he's clinging on to me tight. And I said, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm not going to let you go. And within minutes of us being in there now, he wants me to throw him up in the air, and he's, he's becoming more brave. Why? Whose power is he depending on? His dad's. He's not depending on his own power. He knows he can't swim. He knows that if I let him go, he's in real trouble. Now, there's lifeguards there and other people, and people would look at me funny if I let that happen, but he's depending on me. And when we go through this life... When we're fighting these battles, God hasn't asked us to fight alone. He says, depend on the Lord and in his mighty power. I feel like for some of us, sometimes we come to this passage and we look at this passage and we're like, I'm going to throw the armor on God. I'm going to put the, put the breastplate on, put the helmet on. I'm going to get the shield. I'm going to go get the sword. I'm going to go do some things for you, God. I'm going to run out there. And I'm going to take on the enemy. But that's not what the passage invites us to do. That's not what God has instructed. Let's keep going. So if we keep going, verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So what's the verb here? Stand. Not run, not go. Stand. Stand firm. Stand, to take up and maintain a specified position or posture. Picture this in your mind. You're standing next to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he's the one who's fighting. All you're doing is standing firm in the position that he has given you. I was talking to my mom a couple weeks ago, and she was telling me about this picture that she saw, and from time to time, she'll just have these things that she sees in her mind. Some would call them a vision, whatever you want to call it. But she said, I pictured this lion, this massive lion, picture Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. And she said there was this bride dressed in white, holding a sword, standing beside the lion. And the lion was the one that was roaring out against the enemy. And the bride was simply standing there in the protection of the lion. That's the picture I see here. Stand firm. Remember who you are. God is telling us the enemy will come against you, but I've bought you with a price. I shed my blood for you. You've been redeemed. You've been raised in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 uses the past tense. 
You've been raised with Christ. You're no longer dead in your sin, but you've been raised with him now, not later. We always think about later, like, oh, when I get there, when I get to heaven then. Well, there's some things that will happen then. But God says, now you've been raised with Christ. So stand in who you are. You are one of God's children. You are a living stone, as Peter calls it, that represents the kingdom of God. So what he's telling us here is don't be given over to that old thinking, that selfish way of doing life, of thinking that this temporary world is all that there is and I have to have all that I can get here and it has to be about me. Don't give in to that. You've been raised with Christ. And here's the battle. Here is the battle as I see it. The battle is to every single day wake up and remind yourself of these truths. Because if you don't remind yourself on a daily basis, you will forget. I'll forget, you'll forget. Our flesh, our hearts are deceitful and we are weak. Jesus told the disciples to pray, for the spirit is willing, but your flesh is so weak. Do you feel that? I do. I feel that weakness in my flesh every single day. And these temptations will come against us. The world will tempt us to run after her gods, to run after money and pleasure and leisure, safety. Satan will whisper in our ears, you're not good enough. You failed again. God's not here. He's not with you. He's not trustworthy. And every day that battle will hit you in the face when you wake up. That battle will be there waiting for you every single morning. I compare it to this. Uh, when Aaron and I got married almost 17 years ago, uh, we went on our honeymoon. We went to Cancun. I had never been to that part of the world before uh, back in 2001. So I remember July 15th. July is a hot month, all right? Be in Cancun, Mexico in July, it's really hot, right? So I wake up in the morning. It's like 9 o'clock. I walk to the, we're up on a balcony, maybe third floor. I walk and I open the sliding door and the heat 102 degrees, humid as you have ever experienced, just floods into my face. And if you want to experience this, here's what I tell you to do. Go home today, preheat your oven to about 400 degrees, right? And then once the bell goes off that tells you that it's heated, open it up and stick your face right there. Just get that in your face. That's what it felt like. That's what it felt like. But that's what the battle feels like every single day. That You have stresses in your life. You have career worries. You have financial worries. You have relationship worries. Maybe you have health worries. Every single day, this battle is coming to you, and it's in your face. And so what God is saying to us in this passage is put on the armor of God and remember who you are. Remember who purchased you. Remember who redeemed you. Remember who saved you. And now remember the position position that I have given you. And this is where the spiritual disciplines come into place. How do we remember these things? Spend time reading his word, spend time in prayer, spend time fasting, remember who you are. And these are gifts. The spiritual disciplines are gifts. Earlier this week, I was reading a book to my daughter. It's a, 
It's like a, it's kind of the Bible is something that somebody gave her, and it has like these little commentaries from, it's written for eight to ten year old girls, so it's written with that in mind. And there's this little girl in there who's writing this commentary about how God has made a difference in her life, and she's writing, and I'm reading this to Olivia, and at one point it says, I read my Bible every day so that God will be pleased with me. And I closed the book, and I looked at Olivia, and I said, Olivia, do you have to read the Bible every day? so that God is pleased with you? And she thought about it for a minute. No, I don't think so. I said, good, all right. Because God's not after us to read the Bible every day. He's not after us for something that says, you have to check this off a list. Should you read the Bible every day? If God is putting that conviction on you, it certainly can help, right? Because I want to connect with who God is, but the motivation is different. And that's the important part. My motivation to read the word of God is because I want to learn about God. I love God. He loves me. And in here, he tells me about these promises every single day. And it's always here. It's just a matter of whether we take the time to look at it. Because God has written it for us. So the spiritual disciplines come into play. So let's look at the pieces of the armor here as we go forward. So verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. So resist the enemy. There's that word again, resist, right? Resist the enemy in a time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be what? Standing. Still standing. Verse 14, stand your ground. So again, that idea of standing in the position that God has given us. Now we get into the armor of putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. And I, when we get into this part, I feel like it's important to, to have this honest conversation because how, what does this look like? I've been taught this for many years. I, like I said, I've been following Jesus for 20 years and I've never really had a satisfying answer to what this looks like. I've heard of people saying, you know, I wake up every morning and I put on the breastplate of righteousness and I take the sword of, uh, the, sword of the spirit and the, the shield of faith and put on the helmet of salvation. And I'm always thinking, what closet is that in? Where do I find that? Like, is there a store where I can go and buy the helmet of salvation so that I can walk through life with this helmet on? What is that you have? Oh, it's the helmet of salvation. I put it on this morning. It doesn't, it doesn't compute with us. But here's, here's why I think this is. These things that God is telling us to equip ourselves with are things that he has already given us. He has provided them for us. And the question is, am I going to put off the old self, as Adam read in Ephesians 4, am I going to put off the old self and put on this new self, reminding myself of who I am and these truths? These are truths. Some of you old saints, you remember this old hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. I would have put the lyrics up here, but I was thinking about it later this weekend after this was done, right? Standing on the Promises of God was written in 1886, but it's telling us in each and every day that we should stand on the promises of God and what he has already done for us. It's a great, great song, uh, if you like hymns. But this is what this is pushing us towards, what God is pushing us towards. Think about for a second, putting on the belt of truth. Well, what is truth? Who is truth? The scriptures tell us, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're a basketball fan in the room, you might think that Paul Pierce is the truth because that was his nickname. But no, it wasn't Paul Pierce. It's Jesus. 
Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is speaking to a group uh, of people, and he says that if you abide in my truth, if you abide in me, then you will be set free. So recognizing that Jesus is the truth, that the things that he says are real, reality, that he has revealed himself as the Son of God, fully trustworthy, These, or this, is what it means to put on the belt of truth, to be reminded that Jesus is the truth. And the body armor of God's righteousness. I like how the New Living Translation changes this to the body armor of righteousness. It's like the the call of duty uh, culture has pushed in against us, right? You older saints, you remember this as the breastplate of righteousness, but now it's the body armor of righteousness. It's something that covers our torso, right? Well, where do you get righteousness from? Where do you and I get righteousness from? Is it from the things that we do, the good acts, living a moral life? Well, the scriptures say no, it's from Jesus. Jesus says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I will, in exchange for your sin, in exchange for your sinfulness, I will take that upon myself and I will give you my righteousness. When I put on the breastplate of righteousness, all I'm doing is recognizing that anything right in me today is given me as a gift through Christ. That's what it means to wear the body armor of righteousness. You keep going. For the shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. The good news is the gospel. The gospel that Jesus has come to set us free. The gospel that Jesus has died and his sins have fully cleansed us. And that we can walk through this life in peace knowing that I might fail today, but I'm not trusting in my own strength. I'm trusting on the strength of my Father. And the accomplishment of Jesus Christ upon the cross. You keep moving. You get in addition to all of these. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And faith in the one who has created us and loved us and made us. Faith in the son of God. Faith is a gift. I want to show you this passage. And I was behind in my slides. Romans chapter 12 verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Your faith that you have is a gift from God. God has woken you up to his existence, to his love for you. He's made it known. So again, it's trusting in the one who has done it for us. Verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So carry the word of God, reminding you of these promises. So that when the enemy comes at you, and one of the things I thought of with this is when Jesus was tempted, right? Jesus was tempted just as you or I were. The enemy, Satan, came against him to tempt him. And what did he use to tempt him? He used the scriptures. Satan used the scriptures to tempt Jesus And when Jesus was pushed, how did he respond? He responded with the scriptures. The sword, the word of God, the truth of God is how we combat the enemy's fiery darts. Those things that he tries to get at us, the deceptiveness of the world. The sword, the word of God is how we do it. So we want to live a life that pleases God. We want to abide in him. We want to trust him. We want to stand firm in our position. So how do we do it? Well, John Piper said it this way. He said it so well that I'll just quote him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we are resting in the existence of who God is and who Jesus is and who he has made us to be, 
When we are most satisfied in who he is, he is most glorified in us. So as you walk through this life in a position of glorifying and honoring God, your father, he is pleased with you. He's in relationship with you because you've recognized for the reason that you've been created was that you would be satisfied in him. We were created for connection and relationship with him. And so you might feel like, well, you know, I don't feel like that all the time. I feel like I'm still fighting a battle. I feel like there are things that are still going on and these things are true. And I started with talking about uh, June 6th, 1944, that battle in Normandy. And that was the beginning and the end of that war. And as we walk through this Christian life, we feel like, well, isn't the war already over? Well, I would tell you that when Jesus hung on the cross, when Jesus hung on the cross and he pronounced, it is finished, it was over. Our sin was dealt with. The enemy will not recover from God's perfect love and from Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The enemy won't recover. He can't recover. But the battle still goes on. There were 10 months left in the battle in World War II. I don't know how long the battle will go yet, but we must remember that it's already been finished. And I'll close with this passage, Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. So you and I as sinners have been, we've broken the law, we're lawbreakers. But God, in his love for us, he canceled the debt by nailing Jesus to the cross. So Jesus pays for it. The charge is no longer there. That charge stood against us and condemned us. But he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And here's the part that's pertinent to us now. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Our battle is already won. The battle is already won. Jesus has already claimed the victory. Jesus has already disarmed those powers. The question is, will you give them strength anymore? Will you listen to them? Or will you stand in the position of whose you are as a redeemed child of the living God? Will you stand in the promise that Jesus has given you that he has made you righteous? Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you for the book of Ephesians. I thank you that we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. Father, I pray that you would help us to wake up more and more to what's happening in the spiritual realm. Father, that we would trust in your Holy Spirit and what he is doing inside of us. Father, I pray that we would depend on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made and that we would rely on and stand firm in the faith that you have given us. Father, will you help us in the times of our unbelief and in our doubt? Will you help us in the times where we become consumed with the gods of this world? Will you forgive us of those things? Will you make it clear to us? Will you help us to see your kingdom come and your will be done? Help us to be a part of that. Father, we long to see you and see, um, see your work here on earth. So Father, will you help us to be a part of it? We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.